We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the show. It's a Tuesday edition of IB Nation Sports Talk. We are up. We are rolling. He's Jesse. I'm Sean. Both Styers, as you can see on your screen. How are you tonight? Doing well. It was a quick day of work, so I can't uh, can't necessarily complain. Next thing I knew, it was time to prepare my notes for tonight's show. Boom. And there you go. There you go. We got a lot of stuff to get to in the course of tonight's show. We're going to do some overachievers, some underachievers, not just for Notre Dame, but from all around college football as well. And in rapid fire, we've got to some Notre Dame topics to get to, some NFL-type playoffs to get to, some other college football playoff topics to get to. And of course, questions, comments are always welcome from everyone except Tommy. Ba-dum-bum. <laughs> and Derek, I don't feel bad about your Lions loss. So, Who's Derek? I thought it was DK. <laughs> yeah, DK. Sorry. <laughs> His streets names are DK, but yeah, um, I was actually hoping was... Tommy is doing well today. I saw that he was out on uh, I seventy, so uh, so hopefully things are going well out there. I'm not sure which part of I seventy. Um, I'm looking to see if he's got it in here. Somewhere. Said by Lucas Oil, I believe. Okay, so down in Indy, down in Indy. Okay, all right. Well, safe travels. As always, and you know, don't use those thumbs when you're out there driving. So, all right, you want to do some uh, overachievers, some underachievers, you want to do some college football, like at large, before we get into the Notre Dame stuff? Yeah, and I, I, the, the way I looked at it, um, I had a lot more overachievers than underachievers. Okay. And for the overachievers, I kind of pinpointed the player that like was the overachiever also on that team. So I'm How I, long I is your team. list? We we you know, we haven't conferred on uh, this, you know, like we <laughs> Overachievers I have 6 to 7 and underachievers I have 2. So not oh, wow. quite so as apparently uh, not not to cut you off there, but Anthony said Tommy was involved in an accident. Well, I didn't see that part of it so hopefully tommy i you know obviously hope that everything is uh is good and not too serious and that uh you get out of there okay keep us updated when you get a chance but take care of the important stuff first all right so you want to start with overachievers then yeah, let's start uh, with overachievers. Do you want to go one by one, or do you want me to do all of mine, and then you do all of yours? How, how uh, you do one, that? I'll do one. We'll kind of go back and forth, I think, all right. a little bit. So my biggest overachiever on the season, I think, would have to be Missouri. Missouri played in the SEC, which is considerably the hardest conference in football, You know, led by Eli Drinkowitz. And then I think the player that really overachieved for them was their running back, Cody Schrader, he was the the top running back also in the SEC. So, you know, I, I think that they mightily outperformed themselves and made it far past expectations this season. 
Yeah, I agree. They went 11 and two. I've got them on my list. They they ended up as the number eight team in the nation after they got no votes in any of the preseason polls. And they ended up eighth in the nation with an 11 and two record in the SEC. I think that that speaks for itself. So I agree. Like if I, I didn't necessarily rank mine, but if I did, Missouri would have to be at or near the top of the list in terms of the overachievers across the country, I think. I've got Arizona <laughs> next on my list. That was also that, next on my list. Yeah. Well, we're thinking along the same lines. You know, again, no votes in either poll. They go 10 and 3. Nobody expected anything from Arizona. You know, they they end up ranked number 11 in the final polls. Jed Fish went from 1 and 11 in his first season to 5 and 7 to 10 and 3 to leaving Arizona <laughs> to become the head coach Promotion. of the Washington Huskies. Yes. <laughs> Um, next on my, and, and for, for Arizona, I thought that the entire offense really kind of overperformed as well. And I think that's a large part of, of Jed fish, but the next on, on my list was good old Louisville and Jeff Brom. I thought that they gave kind of big TCU vibes last year, brand new coaching staff, had to kind of get some pieces in the portal. Uh, and I'm talking about the TCU team that went to the national championship, obviously, and, their coaching staff was in their first year, and I think they kind of pieced some things together. Um, and they won a lot of close games, Louisville did. And I, I think they were uh, a heavy outperformer this season. Yeah, I've got Louisville. I, I, I had like Louisville and Kansas kind of in a tie. I don't know if you've got Kansas on yours, but Louisville definitely has to qualify. Uh, Kansas number 23, Louisville number 19 in the final rankings. They each only received 10 votes in the preseason AP poll. So you look at where they are and, you know, they're, they're both uh, at least theoretically anyway, in good shape for the future, both kept their coaches around Jeff Brom, Louisville had been kind of uh, pining after him for a while and they got him down there and he obviously had a great first season. We'll see how he's able to continue that. And Lance Leopold at Kansas kind of continues to have success in uh, in each of his first three years there at Kansas, and we'll see how that goes. They're not they're uh, I, I don't know if you saw, but Kansas actually tore down Memorial Stadium. It was uh, it was basically an old high school stadium with a relatively recent you know recently installed uh, modern press box, but they ripped it down completely, leveled the place. They're building a new stadium, but they're not going to get to play. Uh, any home games in the because the new stadium is not supposed to be complete next fall. So they're going to play in Arrowhead. Some of their games in Arrowhead where the Chiefs play in Kansas City and some of their games at a soccer stadium in Kansas City. So that's what happens with success, I guess. <laughs> I was going to say that must be, uh, you know, a proud moment. That's your alma mater. They've probably had that that raggedy old stadium for a while now. And it sounds it like. In 2025, we can travel and, and see a new stadium. We'd have to pick like a fun home game to potentially go to. Yeah, Anthony says Steyer's money upgrading the football stadium. <laughs> My donation got them one seat back in uh, <laughs> Section 101. <laughs> um, I did have Kansas on my list, and the next team that was on my list was West Virginia. I thought Neil Brown was on the brink of getting fired. And I think this one's a little bit, you know, smaller in terms of relative, you know, scale. Like West Virginia wasn't a powerhouse by any means, but I think they still hit their over on their win total. And I thought that their quarterback, Jarrett Green, turned himself into one of the better quarterbacks in the country by the time it was all said and done. Yeah. I I actually, my next two, I'll just go ahead and combine them because they both ended up making the playoffs. I have Washington and Texas on mine. And I know that, you know, Texas, it had been 14 years since Texas finished in the top 10. They finished, you know, number three in the playoff. Now, there were some expectations of Texas, but there have always been expectations of Texas, and they've always managed to come up far short. But they went to the playoff this year, and, you know, they were within striking distance of getting to a national championship game. And then Washington, 10th in the preseason. So, again, it's not like, you know, they came from completely off the radar. They only slightly overachieved, but they did win the Pac-12, and they ended up being the national runner-up. And we'll get to this in my over or my underachievers list. 
Washington wasn't necessarily the team with all the hype in the Pac-12 going into this season. And they ended up undefeated in the regular season and getting to the national championship game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's so funny because I'm going to do the same thing that you just did. I'm going to lump two together. Both of them were playoff opponents as well, but I actually have the flip. I have Michigan and Alabama for different reasons. I think if oh, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. And I, I just think that, you know, was Michigan considered um, a contender at the beginning of the season? Sure. But I still think there were some question marks. Uh, and the fact that they actually, you know, sealed the deal. When's the last time, you know, a team outside of Ohio State in the Big Ten has won a national championship as of recently. Um, I just think it's a big step for their program. Um, and I think that they overachieved and so much so that their head coach is now leaving to, you know, go to the Chargers. And and I, it's just kind of funny because I think that had they not won that, I don't think Jim Harbaugh gets as much as attention. I think Michigan, Michigan's success finally got Jim Harbaugh what he wanted, right? He he yeah, brought a national to championship NFL. to his alma mater, and he was able to go on to the NFL. And so for that reason, I think they're big overachievers. And then Alabama as well. Um, you know, at the beginning of the season, no one knew where their offense was going to go. They were going between Milrow, Buckner, and another guy. They were, you know, it was basically open tryouts as the season had already started for Alabama um, at quarterback. And, you know, I just thought Nick Saban did his – even though they didn't win at all, I, I think – from where they were at the beginning of the season to the end, to upsetting Georgia, to winning the SEC, uh, ultimately and being, you know, a, a snap away from beating Michigan and back in the national championship. You know, that, that game still took overtime in Alabama yeah. and Michigan. So I thought Alabama really overachieved as well this season. I concur. Tyler, yep, we, we agreed on Louisville. We had it on. You might have jumped in uh, a little bit. Late, we uh, we covered Louisville a second ago. Definitely among the overachievers in college football, I think, this year. I only have, and I agree with with what you're saying. And like the you know the part with Michigan, it was best case scenario for Jim Harbaugh. He wins the national championship. He gets so he gets to right off into the sunset, a Michigan legend, and back to the NFL. You know, it's like fans might feel a little bit scorned but at the same time what more can you ask he delivered you a, a national championship your first one in in two and a half decades and now he's he's going to get to uh have a chance he wants to win a super bowl and so he's going to have a chance to go to the nfl and that's going to be you know like this whole chiefs dynasty thing going on it's going to get a lot more interesting with jim harbaugh out there in the afc west i know for, uh, the immediate future I had I've one only, more overachiever if you didn't have any well, more left. I've got one. It's an individual, not a team. And my individual is Jaden Daniels because mm -hmm. he won the Heisman Trophy. And, you know, 
He went from 17 touchdown passes, 885 rushing yards, and 11 touchdowns in 2022 to 40 touchdown passes, 3,800 yards, 72% completion percentage, which was up 4%, and over 1,100 rushing yards and 10 more touchdowns. So again, you know, like the whole, oh, Mike Denbrock just rode on the coattails of Jaden Daniels. Like Mike Denbrock was there when Jaden Daniels also had 17 touchdown passes. And he was, you know, from, from year one to year two, look at the progress that he made, you know? So I, I think that most of the hype was on Caleb Williams and maybe even Bo Nix or Michael mm -hmm. Penix to a certain extent. And so I think Jaden Daniels definitely overachieved with what he, with, with, with the kind of season that he ended up with and the fact that he won the Heisman trophy when it was all said and done, especially for a team that lost three games winning the Heisman, you know, with all that. Yeah, I will say that individual player-wise, Jan Daniels far far exceeds kind of the rest of the playing field. And then the last team that I had for overachievers was Northwestern. I thought Northwestern, uh, you know, coming into the season, everything that was going on with Pat Fitzgerald and the program, um, and I, I think their their win expectations was like one or two games, maybe. Um, they ended up going eight and five and winning a bowl game as well. And so I thought that they really overachieved just kind of where, you know, everything was at the beginning of the season with what was going on around the entire program. Stymie nominating Ryan Day for overachieving. I mean, maybe there's still a lot of talent on that team. And like you could, like, if you look at the big 10, because I think someone, you know, said something to the effect of Michigan only had to play three quality opponents. And well, they still won the two won that mattered at the end. No, that's that. That's right. But three, like, if you count Ohio State, if you look at Ohio State, you know Ohio State didn't have to play many more quality opponents. You know they had to play Notre Dame. Obviously, they had to play Michigan. They had to play Penn State. Who else I mean, is this there? is a, a whole can of worms that I would love to get into at some other point, and this is why I still believe, you know, the the Big Ten as as a whole is kind of you know overrated because they don't they don't play. A, a powerful out of schedule or out of conference schedule. Uh, they rely on the conference itself. And I feel like the conference itself has been top heavy for the last decade. You know, there's really only two or three really good teams in that conference. Yep. Yeah, Anthony gave him credit for, uh, for winning, as he said, <laughs> underachievers. Can we, can we agree that USC <laughs> Combined with Caleb Williams are yes. the, the the most underachieving team and individual in the nation. Is there any disagreement to that? I think that the one rebuttal, the strongest rebuttal, would be Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher. Um, but but when you combine Caleb Williams in that equation, I think it USC trumps because you have you have um, head coach. I can't. His name is slipping me right now. Lincoln and, Riley. Lincoln Riley, and you know Caleb Williams, and so I think the combination of the two outweighs Jimbo Fisher, and he didn't have a guy, a quarterback that just won a Heisman as well coming. You know what I mean? So I think that that right. contribution is what puts USC over the top. But Texas A and M also makes my list uh, for obvious reasons. I'm going to look and see where AM was ranked in the preseason because USC was number six and everyone was talking about them as a legitimate college football playoff contender. And I don't see like AM much lower down around 23 is where they were in the preseason ranking. So I, you know, I get your argument with what you're talking about with Jimbo and all that, especially with the recruiting classes that he had had and, and all those different kind of things. But USC went from preseason number six to unranked eight and five, five. They, they lost four games in the Pac-12 and Caleb Williams went from Heisman Trophy. And this is why you've only ever seen one Heisman Trophy winners, winner, you know, like one repeat Heisman Trophy winner. It is so hard, hard to repeat. Yeah. It, it, you know, everything dials up in that second year. It is so hard to repeat that in the second year. And, you know, Caleb Williams still had a solid year. He didn't have a Heisman Trophy type year, though, and USC just imploded, you know, and didn't even get to 
the Pac-12 championship game, let alone win the Pac-12 and, you know, compete for a spot in the college football playoff. So that's why I had them at the top of my list. Yeah, the next my voice sound, by the way, can you tell that it's like a little different today? Not really. Okay. Not a whole bunch. I've had like a little bit of crud going on. I think it's all going around. Everyone just sounds the same. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, So who else you got? Who else you got for your underachievers? Let's Um, just do a couple, couple more sort of college football. Yeah, I got two more. Okay. Uh, First would be Oregon. Uh, I think that the fact that you lost to Mm. Washington twice, one in the regular season, one in the conference championship, most importantly, the conference championship, you know, they had the higher expectations, the quote unquote better roster, you know, going into the season. And I thought that they got outperformed by a conference rival. Did they really underachieve that that much, though? Um, I mean, I still think, you know, they obviously did better than USC still. Yeah. Like, fine line. They had to play a team that ended up playing in the national championship twice, lost a couple of close games. I I get what you're saying, but I don't know. I don't know if they underachieved that far. They were still a really good team, I thought. TCU is, is my top or my next underachiever because, you know, look, I know they lost a lot of guys and they probably overachieved, you know, to the nth degree getting to the national championship game the year before. But the fact, you know, like it's one thing to go, you know, they, they, they basically went from playing in a national championship game and getting wrecked in that national championship game, obviously to, to getting train wrecked this year, you know, they lose to Colorado in the season opener, it begins the Deion Sanders hype. You know, it allows the Deion Sanders hype to really the hype train to take off. And they it, TCU finished unranked in five and seven. So that's I had to include them on my underachiever list. Again, you know, they weren't going to repeat what they did before, but they didn't even finish with a, a, a winning record, let alone a you know 500 record after playing in the national championship game just a year ago. My last underachiever was Arkansas. Uh, they were nine and four in 2021. KJ Jefferson was amongst kind of Heisman talk. Um, a lot. Uh, you like that Arkansas train, don't you? <laughs> I do. Um, and you know, KJ Jefferson was at a lot of you know people's top of their you know mocks, where in terms of you know him and quarterback uh, rating and and, and etc. And then to go four and eight this past season in 2023, I just felt like, you know, I felt like there was more to come from Arkansas. And I really thought that they were going to kind of start competing and challenging the LSUs, the, the, the Alabamas, the Texans, the Texas teams this, this season. Um, And I felt that they didn't really do that. And so they were a big underachiever in my opinion. Anthony says no ND. We're going to talk specifically about Notre Dame here in just a second. Anthony, and I will just say this. Here's what's interesting about Notre Dame, because, yeah, you can make a case that they underachieved, but they started the season with a number 13 national ranking. They ended up with a number 14 ranking when it was all said and done. (laughs) Pretty steady to me. So, like, maybe by Notre Dame fan standards, Notre Dame (laughs) underachieved, but based on the expectations – from around the country and what people saw of Notre Dame, they actually landed right where they were supposed to land when it was all said and done with a, with a 10 win season, 10 and three and a, a minor bowl win. So I don't like, if you look at Notre Dame overall, Jess, would you say it was an underachieving season or it definitely wasn't an overachieving season. Would you say it was an underachieving season though? Um, I think it was a. I think you have to look at it by component. I thought that certain areas of the team overachieved, and certain areas of the team underachieved. If that makes sense, I think Marcus Freeman, as a head coach, slightly overachieved because I saw growth in Marcus Freeman as a head coach. Um, I thought that the the team in certain situations underachieved. I still think that they did not perform in the big moments. 
right? Like the Ohio States, the Clemsons, those were big moments in the season and they underachieved. Um, I thought that defensively they overachieved. They got, you know, they, 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 they were tremendously better on defense this season. I thought offensively they underachieved just kind of with knowing, you know, where the defense was and how, how the offense could elevate them and put them into that, that playoff picture, serious playoff picture at the end of the season. Um, and then I thought special teams kind of was just kind of sub, you know, basically subpar in terms of underachieving and overachieving. So you have an overachieving defense and an underachieving offense. And I think those are going to balance teams, each other out. I thought the special teams got better as the course of the season. They did. They along. did more explosive things as the season went on. Right. And I don't know how much of that is, you, you know, you went from a guy like Brian Mason who did things so well and obviously had his, you know, own particular way of doing things to a new special teams coach like Marty Biaggi, who has had some success at some different stops. But, you know, we started to see some blocks, some return, you know, like you said, some explosive things, some returns and those kind of things. So I, I felt like, I felt like overall that got better, but I do agree with what we are not Marshall says being at the Ohio state and Clemson games. He says they underachieved by going one and two against the big three. Again, you know, the, the Louisville game was a massive underachievement because they really weren't in that game, you know, like from the get go. The, the, so I would say when you look at Louisville, and Clemson and the way they lost those games. And we've talked over and over about the interceptions and the turnovers that Sam Hartman in particular had in those games. I think that you, you know, you have to say that if they at least like, if those games had at least been competitive, you know, like the Ohio state game was competitive. What? Excuse me. Had a little episode there. The last three and a half minutes against Ohio State is where they underachieved. For the rest of the game, and for only, you know, a couple of plays otherwise, they were in that game. Should they have won that game? I think they played like they should have won that game. Unfortunately, they didn't. The biggest underachievement, I think, was was the, the Clemson and, and Louisville, just total eggs that they laid. Yeah. And then, like, going from there, I kind of looked at it offensively and defensively kind of position – not position-wise, but, like – well, I guess position-wise. Like, I had – on offense and defense, I had both underachievers and overachievers, and I kind of, you know, grouped them together as quarterback, wide receiver, offensive line. Um, And then on defense, it was defensive line, linebacker, and secondary. So I kind of had, you know, a list of players on both sides of the ball who over – and underachieved if you wanted to kind of get into yep, that sort of for situation. Sure. And just uh, a, uh, a couple of different things. There, you know, there, uh, there's some questions that I see start up or some questions from the chat that I've got start up. I'm going to save them for rapid fire. One is about the, uh, the Riley Leonard news that was reported today about his ankle and the other that ABCDEF – whoever that is, uh, was asking about Chad Bowden and uh, the Michigan stuff. So we will address both of those in rapid fire here in just a few minutes. We'll go ahead and finish you know, this talk, doing our overachievers and underachievers, and then we will uh, be sure to address those in rapid fire. So um, overachievers for Notre Dame, like who, who, are the, who are the specific players at the top of your list for the overachievers? Yeah, so for the overachievers, I'll start with the offense. Um, I, at the top of my list was Audric Estime at the running back position. Um, at honorable mention at running back, I have Jeremiah Love. Um, amongst the offensive line, I actually, you know, when healthy, I thought Rocco Spindler was an overachiever. Um, honorable mention was Joe Alt. Um, Joe Alt gets the honorable mention because it's like how, how much more can he actually overachieve? But then again, like his game is he's already great and his game actually got better this season. So I think that still deserves kind of the honorable mention um, in terms of overachieving um, at the wide receiver position. I had Jordan Faison, you know, okay. guy. You're doing position, so you're just going, you're, you're doing comprehensive. Okay. 
I got yeah. you. <laughs> um, at, well, yeah, that's kind of like I try to find one guy. So Joe position Alt, I don't think Joe Alt overachieved, though, did he? Didn't you put him on your overachieved list? Yeah, he was like an honorable mention, though, because I'm saying that like he even though he's great, he still got better. That's still overachieving to me at the end of the day. Like he, he okay. is still he still took his game um to another level i thought chris tyree was overachiever just because he had never played wide receiver before and i thought he did a lot of good things at wide receiver um <laughs> i think your list i think your definition of overachieve is too broad here <laughs> well and then defensively i had howard cross jd bertrand okay let's slow down let's let's stick with the offense here for just a second so since you've mentioned a lot of different guys to me i think you've got to put phase on at the top of the offensive list because the guy went from walk on. We don't know anything that's going to happen. If he plays, you've got to give him a scholarship, all this stuff to basically playing a little bit more than half the season. And he has 19 catches for 322 yards, which becomes the fifth leading receiver on the team. So I've got to put phase on there. Rico Flores has got to be on this list as well, even though he's no longer with the team, but, you know, true freshman and ends up being the top leading wide receiver and the number two overall pass catcher with 27 receptions for just a little under 400 yards. And I put Mitchell Evans on my list as well of overachievers, mm -hmm. because again, like you thought that Mitchell Evans could probably do some nice things, but one, you're taking over for a legend, Michael Mayer. So who knows really what to expect from Mitchell Evans, and he ends up being the the team's leading receiver for the season. So those are those are my top three offensive um, overachievers. Do you disagree with those as my as the top? Like if I put those at the top of the offensive list, uh, I can get down with Phase on. I can <laughs> kind of get down with Flores. I don't think you could have two overachievers from a room that far. Farly underachieved on the season, so I, I, I think I think you have to pick one wide receiver in terms of overachiever, and I think Faison makes more sense because he was a walk on that no one had expectations for, and ended up being the the most valuable player of their bowl game by the time the season was all said and done. Um, I don't like Mitchell Evans didn't like I see your point, but he just didn't contribute enough to me. Audric Estime was also up there. Uh, for me, because I thought he was the heart and soul of the team when I thought he was the real leader of the offense when they really needed someone more See, than Sam me, Hartman. I, to me, I, it's hard to make him an overachiever just because I think a lot of that was expected from Estime this season. Yeah, but again, I still like he still had, you know, the the amount of touchdowns that he had. Um, and then again, just like the the ability True. to change the, the touchdown game. record, single season right. touchdown record for the school. True. And I think that when they needed him most, he he was there for them. North Carolina State game, the Duke game, the Stanford game. Like I I, I just think if you sub if you subtract out Audric Estime with the struggles that they had in the passing game, they were they would have been far worse this season offensively. And I think they would have right. been. I that I think you could have maybe said they would have lost another game without Audric Estime this season. And so he is a big time overachiever for me. Okay. All right. I don't completely disagree with that. I, to me, there's not a whole lot of other overachievers. Is there anyone on the offensive line that overachieved for you? Mm, somebody said Ashton Craig. And I mean, I would have liked to see maybe Craig play a little bit more. You know, Pat Coogan did start every game. So like, if you go, if you go based on where he, you know, what was expected of him coming into the season, to what you know he was not perfect by any means but at the same time he was he and he and alton fisher were out there you know every game except the bowl game this year and coogan was obviously in the bowl game as well you know he's the only guy who started every game this season on the offensive line so i would i would put him up there and, and maybe ashton craig a little bit yeah again would have liked to seen him a little bit more, you know, to truly qualify him as an overachiever. But I thought he did pretty well with the opportunities that he had at the end after the uh, the injury to Zeke Carell.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I actually would have said Rocco just because no one expected him to start. And then what are you talking about? Nobody expected him to start. Yeah, they did you it. had, stole, him, you had him as your breakout player. Yeah, but no one, no one else did. I, I'm giving myself more props for that except because no one else had belief but me. All right. Should we go to overachievers on defense? Let's do defense, but don't give me half the defense. Who are your top three oh my defensive overachievers? Let's actually let's let's stipulate it this way. Let's just let's just stipulate Xavier Watts is the obvious overachiever. Of so he group. doesn't get to count. So three more outside of. I that. mean, he counts. He counts, but but do three other guys besides him. Those yeah, are two late. Watts obviously had had the kind of year nobody was expecting Xavier Watts to have the kind of year that he had. All right, and he was amazing. I guess my it's hard. Um, where to rank these three? I'll just say these three, and then because it's hard, like I said, it's no particular order. Okay, uh, Howard Cross was an overachiever, thought Javante Jean Baptiste was an overachiever, and I thought JD Bertrand was an overachiever. I like that. I I'll, would... yeah, I'll tell you why a little bit too. I thought Howard Cross uh played physical in the middle, but also was undersized. Um, obviously had. You know, a tremendous amount of tackles for an, uh, a defensive tackle. And that's Javon. the thing. He's the top interior, you know, defensive line tackler in the entire country. Like, again, like that that was not expected coming into the season. You expected you could get good, solid play from Howard Cross, but not that, that he would have the complete kind of production and destruction that he had. Yeah. And then Javante Jean-Baptiste was up there for me because this guy at Ohio State was a third down pass rush specialist and then became an every down, you know, run stopping pass rusher, whatever you needed him to be every down defensive end. And I thought he very much overachieved like in terms of like return on investment. I, I would say that Notre Dame got a huge return on investment on in him, you know, getting him out of the transfer portal yeah. and what he was able um, to do. And then J.D. Bertrand, because J.D. Bertrand always has haters. Um, I think that no one really understands how hard it is to run a defense as complex as what Al Golden wants to do. And he's the only guy on the field that has to worry about pass and run on just about every down. Um, and again, he's just the, the the commander in the middle for them. Everyone goes uh, with J.D. Bertrand. So I have to say he's an overachiever as well. I agree with Javante Jean-Baptiste because he completely outperformed the production that he had when he was at Ohio State in his one year at Notre Dame. He went, you know, from a, you know, this guy might just, you know, do one year at at Notre Dame and maybe never even play football again to he's probably going to be drafted and have a, a really good chance to make an NFL roster, you know, when it's all said and done based on the kind of production that he put up this year in his one season at Notre Dame. He was he was really good. I would substitute Maris Leofow for JD Bertrand. And I get I get what you're saying. And I, you know, and I still get, you know, like the the, the vitriol that that Maris gets, but the guy ended up being a Butkus Award semifinalist. Is that the Reese's bull right senior bull right now? Yeah. He and Bertrand were actually out there taking snaps together at the two inside linebacker spots. And Cam Hart was out there with him as well today. But I so yeah, so you know, there there are still things that Maris Leafau needs to get better at if he's going to make an NFL roster and ha- have an actual NFL career. But it, again, the fact that he ended up being a Butkus Award semifinalist didn't expect that coming in. I wouldn't have, I, I would say not only did I not expect it coming into the season when I heard the news that he had made that list, I would say that that is still was still unexpected. So I think you have to put Maris on that list as well. And Anthony said Bertrand ran over 20 Remember miles when everyone said how slow he was? Yeah. Yeah, I do. 
I do. He had, a, but he had a really good year. I, I, I do agree with you. I, I do think he outperformed, especially what most people had set as their expectation for him, and so did Marist, for that matter. You know, again, even though Marist maybe still has some things that he can clean up in his game, he had, of the time that he spent at Notre Dame, he had the best season that he ever had at Notre Dame this year. Shout out to, you know, Javante Jean-Baptiste, too. He was a late addition to the Senior Bowl. He just got added, I believe, today. Who? Oh, Jad, JJB. Yeah, I believe you're right. I believe you're right. Where now Marshall says his wife said the two most impressive in-person players she saw on the Notre Dame roster, Alt and Marist. One was a top 10 pick, the other. See, the thing about Marist is he still, like, he, and I've said this before, and you know what? Now that we've just opened the Maris can, he was he was an underachiever and an overachiever at the same time for me because there were there were aspects of his game. And we've talked about this. He's tremendous in pass. He's tremendous at you know creating pressure, being a spy. You know when when Notre Dame wants to mix in four or five man pressures, he's tremendous at that. Um, but and that was the overachieving part of his game. But the underachieving part was his run fits. And I just, right. I, I don't understand what he's reading. And, you know, I know half the time they're just telling him to blitz and go and clog a lane, but in actual reads, he's still bad at reading. He's still bad at flowing over the top. And I just don't know what it's going to take for him to get better at that. And that's where I'm, I'm saying like the guy is a freak of an athlete, the way he's able to just to kind of run around the field, his motor is always high. He's got good, athleticism he's able to cut he's able to play well in coverage and so i just think there's an nfl team out there who is going to use him primarily you know as a um as a guy that's not going to be there in heavy rundowns like and and a guy that can eventually work his way in because do you think he's an edge player in the nfl do you think yeah i think he's like a combo edge kind of like a nickel like a third second third and long kind of guy who you might you might drop into coverage, you know what I mean? But you also mm-hmm. might use on a stunt as well. He might be covering out on the flat, you know, replacing a corner who might be blitzing as well. I just think – I don't think he's going to be a run – he's obviously not going to be a run first linebacker in the NFL. He's not a traditional old school linebacker. He's a more of a current kind of spread team type linebacker. And it's really funny because, you know, Drew Tranquil made his way to the Chiefs as I think primarily – a beginning down linebacker, a guy that they really liked in the run game but weren't too sure about the pass game. And then some injuries happened in front of him. And now, you know, he played tremendous in that game against the Ravens. And I, I think that's kind of the situation you might find Marison, a guy who naturally gets better the more he kind of plays, you know, into the NFL. So I think there's just a lot of different things that he can do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how an NFL team – kind of a pro like special teams will probably be where he sees most of his action early on. But then, as you said, assuming, you know, that he does make a roster, I, I you know, like the, the third down type stuff would, would kind of seem to be where he would be the best fit going forward. Uh, Big licks burner. Is there any word on when the newcomers will have media availability? As a matter of fact, there is big lick uh, this Friday and <laughs> next Friday. We're going to uh, get to talk to some of the newcomers. We're going to get to talk to yeah, big lick. a couple quarterbacks this Friday, in addition to some other guys, Riley Leonard and CJ Carr, both this Friday. So looking forward to that. So the next couple of weeks, we'll have that and have some different content at irishbreakdown.com, of course. So be looking for that. All right, so specific to Notre Dame, then you want to go offense, defense yep. again when we talk about overachievers, underachievers, under, or uh, yeah, underachievers now. So, offensive underachievers, give, uh, give me give me your three and then we'll discuss. And I want to, I want to see if we oh, are, uh, if we're on the same. This is going to open a big conversation. Um, no particular order, Tobias Merriweather, Sam Hartman. And this one's tough. It's between Zeke Carell or Blake Fisher. Blake Fisher still played well. I think Zeke Carell was still an underachiever for what they needed him to be at center. So I know a lot of people, I think the easy answer is Blake Fisher, but I think the more logical answer when you, when you think of the, them as a unit, I think Zeke Carell makes more sense. Those are my three. 
I think you're probably right. I think you make a good case because they, you know, I I think they got better at center after you know when Ashton Craig ended up yeah. playing <laughs> at the end of the year. Honestly, for a guy with as little experience as he had compared to as much experience as as, as Zeke had, I think you're probably right because because Fisher was a guy I was originally thinking about, but like this is he did go into the season as a if things go the right way like he was supposed to be a first round guy but that's not what's going to happen with Blake Fisher right now you know so i think i think there's still a case for him as an underachiever but i think you're probably right i i think you probably have to put Zeke ahead of him on that list and then Tobias Merriweather you know he played in 12 games he had you know, three of those 12 games without a reception and five others with just one catch. His biggest game, three catches for 91 yards against Central Michigan. And there were a ton of expectations on Tobias Merriweather. And I don't think that they were unfair either because of the talent that he, he you know, he thought that he should be out there putting up big numbers, but it didn't happen. And, you know, like DK it's completely fair that you put Chancey Stuckey on there <laughs> as well, because what role Chancey Stuckey, right. you know, played in that, I think is also, was also a factor. What are your comments on? So you commented on, well, I was waiting to see what you had, if you had anything <laughs> to, to add about Tobias. No, but, no, I hear a massive underachiever. Sam Hartman. I agree. And, it's mostly because of his performances in the big games. They got him for the big games. Yes, that's right. That's it, that was going to be the next word out of my words out of my mouth. They got him for the big games, and he couldn't deliver in those big moments. Unfortunately, five interceptions total in the losses to Clemson and Louisville. I mean, that's what it comes down to, and the fumbles as well. And you know, I don't put as much you know like on. I don't put it on him, right? Like Ohio State, but those two games specifically, Clemson and Louisville, you needed you needed much better from Sam Hartman, and unfortunately, he wasn't able to deliver that. So I think I think a big caveat to this to this situation with Sam Hartman is that you also you know there's a piece of that pie that is the offense that you know the offense that he was running in which he was told to run, obviously, um, and yeah, I just. I think that's specifically that you know the offensive coordinator it played a role in that as well. But I, I think that as a unit, the offense led by Sam Hartman underachieved, and Sam Hartman was a big part of that. He didn't show up in the big games when you needed him, you know. And even and, and we've said this before, he got outperformed by McCord in the Ohio State game, and yeah, he couldn't. You, you got a first-time quarterback, yeah, first-time starter. That's right, first-time starter in the big moment led Ohio State to the end zone. And unfortunately, Sam Hartman couldn't get it done. Now, again, you know, we can talk about play calling and, you know, some different things like that, that also, you know, like specific, especially to the Ohio State game. But even even if you throw the Ohio State game out. Right. If, they win, Clemson. if they win those other games, they still have a chance to at least be in a New Year's Six Bowl, you know. So, yeah, I think that, that, that you have to say for a guy with his experience – underachieved based on what all of us thought or most of us thought anyway coming into the season our our old friend crying belly you know was was actually more <laughs> right about him than we would have ever thought at the time. i thought uh the defensive underperformers was a much easier task i thought it was easy because of how hard it was i thought the defense was tremendous this season so finding underperformers was actually kind of hard but i had two um, at the top was Jordan Patello. I, I think he is uh, – they're still trying to figure out what to do at Viper, um, and he's a big reason why. And then you start looking at linebackers. Uh, we already talked about Maris and JD. Um, I think Jalen Sneed is an underachiever for me. For whatever reason, he still hasn't figured it out. A ton of athleticism, a ton of talent. I don't know if his time is still to come. You know, I don't know. I, I just think for, for what he is, I think he is still an under. Achiever, I would have liked to see him more out there defensively. Um, and then in the secondary, I tried to find someone, but like Benjamin Morrison, Xavier Watts, DJ Brown, Cam Hart, like all those guys were great this year. I think like 
you got more out of DJ Brown and Xavier Watts than you probably thought you were at the beginning of the season. Benjamin yeah, again, Morris, like DJ Brown wasn't perfect, but based on probably what people thought you were going to get from DJ Brown this year, he actually overachieved right. to some extent. Because when I was looking so. at it, I was like, oh, DJ Brown, but then I dove more into like looking at his his like his grading because I have the PFF stuff and I was like, uh-huh. he actually like was really good this year. Like, yeah, in terms of what you thought he was going to be and still like on a national scale, he was still a very, you know, solid safety at the end of the day. And I thought the backup like that Christian Gray and Mickens were also, you know, overachievers. And so it's like, are we really going to say Thomas Harper is like the only underachiever in the secondary? I don't think you can because he's a specialty guy. He's a nickelback type player. So I didn't have any underachievers outside of Jordan Botello and Jalen Sneed. I would agree with that. And I think that both of those guys are kind of X factors in terms of what the defense can be next year. And you know, they both had their moments. They both made some plays. It's not like they had a horrible seasons, but because of what you're talking about, as good as the defense was as a whole, like those are the two guys that you kind of have to nitpick a little bit. And, you know, again, Batello was a part-time player the year before. Actually, you know, almost outproduced what he did as a full-time player this year, especially when you talk about pressures and sacks and tackles for loss and, you know, those kind of disruptive disruptive plays. So, yeah, I agree. Headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.